Hey everyone. This episode centers around sexual assault. There's no details, but we wanted to give you a heads up. Great. Okay, we're gonna do a clap, so I'm gonna count us down. One, two, three. We have a guest today, our very first guest for the pod. Woo-hoo! So hello, guest. Would you please give us a little intro? Who are you? What are your pronouns? What's your favorite color? My name is Madeline. Um, my pronouns are they, them. Uh, my favorite color is blue. Woohoo! Love it. I love welcome, it, too. Madeline. Welcome, welcome. So, little backstory, I stumbled upon Madeline on a fun little app called TikTok. Um, You may have heard of it. It's how Samson and I also met. (laughs) Absolutely wonderful app. I highly recommend it. So, I stumbled upon a video of Madeline's, I think it was from April, and then I watched all your videos and was like, I need to talk to you. (laughs) Madeline, would you like to share kind of what was going on and maybe why we started talking? Yeah, so back in April, I I released that video uh, as a cry for help, really, more than anything else. I was looking for other people who had been harmed by the same legal system that I had. A year and a half ago, I started my journey with with the legal system uh, as a victim, as a survivor. I'd had some dalliances with them before, for some family matters and and for some domestic abuse, but this was my first real interaction with the the police. I reported my rape, my assault, um, a year and a half ago to the Yancey County Sheriff's Department, uh, and and since then I've been on this roller coaster ride of of not only going through my rape and the assault, but also having to deal with. Uh, some not great situations with the police, um, just some failings on their end. And that's what led me to you, thankfully. (laughs) I watched these videos, and if you've listened to our first episode, Samson and I basically decided to start this podcast because we had both worked with survivors in different capacities, and we saw gaps, and we Mm -hmm. saw situations where victims were being re-victimized in just telling their stories over and over and over. And I think Madeline can let us know a little bit more about the situation that they've experienced. So I reached out and I, you know, was like, hey, I have a podcast. Would you please be willing to tell your story so we can get this out there? And they so graciously accepted. And I was I was a bit surprised, to be honest, because I was just this random stranger. But I think that's also why we wanted to have this podcast in the first place, is like telling these stories are really important. And in America, at least in the US, we don't have a great justice system that supports survivors. And in the 70s, when the first sexual assault agency that was supposed to be supporting survivors was created, it was literally because there was a lack of support from police and you know, supporting survivors to get justice for what happened to them. And we're still seeing that there's a gap even with those services. Um, And you can tell us a little bit more about that at some point too, if you'd like, Madeline. And why don't we jump in and you can tell us, you know, what happened with um, the Yancey Sheriff's Department and you trying to 
to make this report. Absolutely. Um, so it it all started with uh, uh, several phone calls. I had initially tried to contact them the first day on 6-2 of 2020 was the, the initial start to all these phone calls. It took me about a week or so to get in touch with the sexual assault survivor uh, officer. There was one officer who who is in charge of all sexual assault crimes in, in Yancey, um, Jason Edmonds, and it took him about a week to get back to me, and I think that that was probably just because I had told them that the rape had happened two years prior, so it was it wasn't a fresh thing. They weren't in a rush. Clearly, they weren't in a rush. Uh, we were playing on their terms. So they, he finally got back to me, and it it was wrong right off the bat. Uh, it was a 15-minute initial interview. Uh, none of my rights were ever gone over. And at the end of it, he asked, is that all that happened? Um, and that was kind of the, the end um, of that interview was... Is that all that happened? Is there anything else that he wow. did? Just kind of trying to, yeah, just trying to see if if maybe he had gone any further. But like, like what I had gone through wasn't far enough, wasn't too much enough already. And after that interaction, I was off put. I didn't know exactly if this is what I wanted to do anymore, but I knew that I knew that I had to keep pushing. I kept going with Jason Edmonds um, for a couple of months. I, I kind of let it slide. And it, it wasn't until witnesses started having problems that I mm. I raised my concerns to the sheriff. So I think I made my first complaint uh, about four months after our, my initial contact. I made my first complaint. And it was simply because witnesses weren't being contacted um, mm. so he would either he would call from a restricted number and not leave voicemails Ugh. or just not reach out at all uh he he refused till the day that the da said that there was not enough evidence he refused to talk to my youngest brother um wow wow who was one of my one of my star witnesses is my youngest brother because I picked him up from school that day. So there was just a lot of nobody doing their job. So I made my complaint to the sheriff and at the end of the conversation with the sheriff, he said that no new training would happen. Wow. That if I had a real problem, I should come for him in the next election. Um, but wow. he admitted that they didn't follow protocol. So he admitted they didn't follow protocol, mm -hmm. and then he dismissed your complaints, yes. saying, come come for me after the election, but, like, is he even running for sheriff in the next uh, election? No. <laughs> no, he's actually retiring. <laughs> um, so oh, my one God. Of, <laughs> one of the officers that I've worked with, I believe, is running for sheriff, so I'll, I'll be coming for his deputy, yeah. Um, but Good. no, he, the, the sheriff himself is retiring. Yeah. So that was basically like a subtext to, you could complain all you want. I'm not going to do anything about it. I'm retiring. Right. Oh, right. uh, that's so rude. That, I mean, that was, that's when I knew I was in real hot water is when the sheriff wouldn't do anything. That, that kind of pushed me into, to seeking 
um, help outside of the agency, which led me, thankfully, to the SBI. Um, I bothered enough of the right people enough that I got a re my case reviewed. So my case is being handled what seems like in the proper manner now. Um, oh, good. That's the good, good side of things. But now we're left with this shit fire that is Yancey County. <laughs> um, I just, and I, I, this is the hard part for me is that I know that I have the right language. I know that I have the right education. And I know that I'm a white female presenting person who has a significant amount of privilege. And it, I'm still being treated this way. I, I know how the, the system should work. And I'm still being treated with immense disrespect. Mm -hmm. um, not even just disrespect. My rights have been violated mm -hmm. on multiple occasions in multiple different ways. Um, yeah. And, and I know that it's happening to other people, too. Because if it's happening to me... There has to be other people, especially people who are more marginalized than myself, who are facing even worse treatment um, by Yancey and by other sheriffs. When people go through very traumatic, heinous experiences, and then they are asked to tell their story to the officer, tell their story to the advocate, tell their story to the detective, now tell their story to this another detective, tell the story. And it's just telling the story over and over. There's a shutdown moment, right? I would see this, this thing happen. There would be people like you who would fight for their case to go, to go and go and go, and they had this fire. But then a lot of times because of what's happened, there's a shutdown moment for some of these survivors. And what needs to happen is these people working the case need to be that fire and fuel. And when they're seeing the shutdown, they need to give space and they need to understand what the trauma is doing. And I feel like that's a huge gap in the advocacy groups and in the law enforcement professionals. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I hate to say the word professional, but, you know, whatever. Um, Samson, did you have anything you wanted to add to that? Yeah, and I, I think you've you might have mentioned this before. Maybe we just talked about it, but there's a there's also that re-traumatization when you're retelling the story over and over again, and that lack of emotion because you're eventually your brain is like, oh, we can't like handle like mm -hmm. saying this so many times, and so we're just gonna like shut it down emotionally, and then it, that's used against them because they yes. tell their story enough times, and they're writing the police are writing down these notes like, oh, they didn't like seem emotional cry. enough <laughs> or like yeah. they didn't yeah they didn't cry they didn't like show the right emotion and it's like well you know how many times have I had to explain this already I yeah. I you know I don't want to have to you know bear my soul vulnerably every single time to a stranger um, to a complete stranger and to multiple different strangers over you know however much time so I think um uh you know that is a huge gap and I I know there are certain agencies who are specifically advocating so that the survivor doesn't have to do that over and over again. But even so, like, it still has to happen because even if they go to court, they're going to have to tell it again and in front of a bunch of a bunch of strangers, a whole room of them. So, <laughs> so it's, many strangers. Uh, yeah, it's a it's a really broken system. And I don't yeah. know how it promotes healing at all, <laughs> you know. Well, or um, justice. I, I don't think it does either. I, I mean, both of those things came into play 
with my case and I, I know that it happens with other people too. I waited because I knew I was going to reach that breaking point if mm. I didn't. I, I knew that if I went full head, full steam ahead from the get-go, I was going to run into trouble. I was going to burn out and I wasn't going to be able to finish the case. So I waited. I waited two years to come forward and that bit me in the ass. The cops didn't believe me because of it. Victims' compensation, which should have been there to help aid through medical yes. bills and therapy and just all of the financial stress that comes along with being a survivor, all of that should have been dealt with and it wasn't because I waited. So I was I was dismissed and not believed because I waited and the only reason I waited is because I knew that I would reach burnout and, and yeah. fail to, to, to make it through court if I didn't. I mean, my case, I, it's a, even more complicated because my stepfather is the one who raped me. So there's all this family stuff that goes on. But victims' compensation, at least in North Carolina, requires that you have gone to the police. Um, oh. They require that the police uh, report is attached to your file. So. Wow. Very interesting. Yeah. Even though I wrote a page and a half letter of, yeah. of basically just a victim statement of everything that had happened, um, mm -hmm. all of the financial stress that, that has occurred, why I didn't come forward, explaining my family situation, all of that was dismissed and the, whatever the police wrote in their report was taken at, at face value. So they believed wow. the police report over the victim's statement, at least in North Carolina, when assessing victims' compensation. And tying these two things in together, that you have to go to the police to get money for crimes that have happened to you, might be fine in some cases, but when with sexual assault crimes, we know that the vast majority of people don't come forward. Right. One of the things I kind of wanted to touch on with, you know, having you on is is kind of brainstorming a couple of things like how can we tweak something to make it better for survivors? And I think a huge thing you just touched on is the victim compensation board when they're reviewing these things it should be survivor first and when they get one of those applications this is just how my mind works they get the application and they they read your statement which is very hard to do it is so hard to write down you know it's one thing to have it in your head and then say it out loud because when you're talking you can kind of like tune out your own voice while you're talking but when you're writing it down it's it's hard and mm -hmm. so when you do that I feel like it should be an automatic like automatic approval if something comes up you know in in a situation of hey we didn't get the police report two months after you filled this out we're gonna need to uh, send you an invoice or you know whatever it is but at least you're getting the funds to get the therapy and the the medical bills paid down and and maybe housing because some of these situations mm -hmm. you need to find housing right after and it should just be like a throw the money to the survivors ASAP and right. and get them the help they need ASAP and if later you find out something was fraudulent or paperwork wasn't filed figure that out then because why can they do that 
for people who lie about health insurance and income, but they can't do that for survivors. You know, like it's still state funding. I would almost go as far to say that they that they need to have advocates working at that department that are going to help you write your statement for you. Oh, because yeah. you should you should have a chance to talk to someone about it and share your story so that you're not again doing that re-traumatization by writing it down yourself. Like you should have a chance to talk to someone there. And then they take down all those notes and make the statement in, you know, your file that should have all that information in it so that they can just, like, send you the money <laughs> and you don't have to worry about it after that, you know? Like, that's that's how I, I, I would go as far as to say that there should be people working for you in that case, you know? I mean, Marcy's Law states that victims' compensation should have gone been gone over um, with right. the detective and the DA. Are, yes. are both responsible for informing you of your rights, in, including two victims' compensation. They should have been on my side assisting me with this. Um, right. I didn't have an advocate, uh, and that's something that Yancey has failed um, to do. I know that it's not the norm in North Carolina because I, I work really closely with one of my professors who's criminal psychology, has a criminal psychology background. Uh, so she knows how this legal system is supposed to work. It, it, there should have been a, a, vic, a, a victim's advocate in every district. So that's just, that's a Yancey thing. They they failed on that account. But that advocate, like Sampson was saying, that, like there should have been somebody on my side. If it wasn't the, activi- uh, the advocate, it should have been the detective right. walking me through all of this. Right. Um, yeah. Even for those people arguing it shouldn't be the detective walking you through that their job is to investigate the crime. To those people, I say the detective and the police should have at least given you a pamphlet at the yeah. very minimal effort least. Here's a Marcy's Law pamphlet. It has a number on the back to to the advocacy group for Yancey County. I, I also agree that the detective should have helped you walk through that and maybe called a victim advocate, even if it's remote. You know, if, if that area doesn't have a group through their DA's office or through the sheriff's office. But they didn't even do the bare minimum. It's required, it's required in the United States to provide survivors of crimes, Marcy's Law, to provide them information about that. Hey everyone, uh, this is Sam. I'm editing the podcast right now, and this isn't entirely true. It's not required in every state in the U.S. to, to provide Marcy's Law, uh, because Marcy's Law is not in every state. Right now, Marcy's Law is in Wisconsin, Florida, Georgia, Nevada, North Carolina, Oklahoma, Ohio, North Dakota, South Dakota, Illinois, and California. However, right now in Pennsylvania, the law actually might be overturned. Um, It's pending um, a judicial hearing. And in the digging to, you know, find this information out, and to make this edit, I found that the ACLU is actually um, encouraging voters not to vote for Marcy's Law for a, a few reasons, and I will link some of this information in our description of this episode. Just thought it was an interesting anecdote and wanted to make that correction that it's not necessarily necessary for every 
state to uh, tell victims of Marcy's Law. However, there is in most states, in, in some states that there isn't Marcy's Law, there's also the Crime Victims Act, which actually kind of is a alternative to Marcy's Law. I will also link in the description what the Crime Victims Act is all about, so you can learn more about that there. All right, back to the rest of the regularly scheduled programming. So it's like, you know, I guess it goes back to the sheriff just not giving a crap. Where is the accountability people? Like, where is it? I can't find it. It goes all the way. It, it's, it's all the way up through the state, though. Um, mm-hmm. This this refusal to take accountability. I mean, as I, as I try and hold DNC accountable, city managers have just dismissed me. I've gone through the DOJ of North Carolina. I've gone through as many victims advocacy groups as I can possibly think of. The advocacy groups have been help, uh, helpful as much as they can offering assistance, but, but officials, state and local officials basically are like, we want nothing to do with this. This is, why are you talking about something we don't talk about? Like, we don't speak about police Mm. abuse and police neglect, Um, especially not if you're a survivor. You just shut up, you annoying little girl. Like, that's the attitude. Um, Especially in that insular community that is WNC. I mean, that just makes it ten times worse. The Good Old Boys Club is is bad by all accounts across the, the nation, but it's even worse when it's a small town where you know everybody and you have mm-hmm. to cooperate with these people on a day-to-day basis because you see them every day. Yeah, and I think when we were talking earlier, you had mentioned that because it was so small and everyone kind of knew everyone, your story got around to the people that you needed to work with. And by the time you were calling them, they had already dismissed you. I think you had mentioned that before. And was that the case or am I getting that wrong? I think maybe... I mean, there was there was gossip and things going around uh, in the police department. So the officer at the end of everything, the officer that was working with me, they straight up told me that rumors were going around about me not wanting to work with them anymore. They were the only officer who wanted to talk to me at that point. Wow. Um, and and other officers were telling them that they that I said that I didn't want to work with them. So there was it, it wasn't necessarily um, exactly what you were saying, but yeah, I mean, there's and then I mean with the with the county officials, I think it's more like we don't want to speak about things going badly for us because there's been a whole bunch of great news about how friendly and safe Burnsville is and. Um, I, I think it's more just like keep that hush hush. We we don't want bad press. We're we're a small town. How um I'm curious how it escalated to the FBI. Like how does that happen? <laughs> so it's the S- the State Bureau is now handling oh, okay. it. I did actually go to the FBI several times. Um, I, I've tried everybody. So the SBI, the State Bureau, and the FBI both have these call centers that you can call to report crimes. 
So I did that before I got my my case officially under the under review. So basically the DA came back to me in December of last year and said there's not enough evidence we're not going to press charges. April of this year rolls around and I find other survivors. I try bringing other survivors to the attention of the Yancey police and the DA's office and I get shut down immediately. Yancey wow. won't even take my calls. The the front officer who was working with me was like, "Yeah, I'll try and get you. I'll try and get you someone. I'll try and get you someone." Nobody would ever never respond to me. Um, so I finally got like the other survivors' victims' name, like names and and locations for them, and nobody wanted to touch it. But in that process of just being a pain in the ass for a couple of weeks because I found other survivors, I bothered the right person enough that the DA requested a review. So the DA oh, is nice. the only one who can request a review. The DA or the the sheriff have to call the SBI in. So the SBI up until that point had been like, yeah, like, it's great. Like, I'm glad that you found other survivors. Like, that's really strong for your case. But until somebody calls us in, we can't do anything. And kind of the same with the FBI. Until there is jurisdiction, they can't come in. So the SBI was asked to come in by the DA in Yancey, which is like the one good thing that they did because... (laughs) Right before that, they had told me just to stop calling back, which is when they violated my Marcy's Law rights, um, is when they just flat out refused to answer my calls anymore, because I should have had constant access to them. And updates. Access and updates. That's part of it. Yeah, I'm so sorry. Like, oof. Oof. Yeah, well, I mean, the, the good news is that we got the SBI on the case and reviewing the case. I cannot thank my other survivors enough. Um, I I know that they're probably not listening to this, but um, (laughs) they've they've been going through a a significant amount of of trauma. I I had two years to kind of put myself together before embarking on this journey, and and they have not. Um, Mm -hmm. This has all kind of been thrown in their lap um, against their will. I went looking for them. They didn't go looking for me. So I think that's, I, 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 it's bad and it sucks that there are more survivors out there, but there is a sense of camaraderie and companionship in our trauma now. Um, and, and so I, they're, they've been great and very supportive. I don't recommend going to find other survivors. It's very traumatic, but, um, yeah. But do know that even if you can't find other survivors from the same from the same rapist, that there are there's a sense of family in finding other survivors, even just joining a group. Right. Um, so, well, thank you so much. I I want to give you an opportunity to share any resources, request support, share contact info, it, anything that you have on your heart that you want as an outcome, you know, I want to give you that time and opportunity. Yeah, so I have actually started a little collection of resources, just myself and some of the survivors that I've managed to to help along the way, Um, because I know that finding resources is incredibly difficult. It's, It's hard to find resources 
especially when you're in the middle of trying to evaluate your own life and probably find counseling and and all that stuff and finding additional resources on top of that while going to the cots is it's all one big mess so in order to kind of try and combat that um, I've started just a massive collection of resources Um, we're gonna go county by county state by state so as people reach out to me I will do more resources uh, add more resources as I do resource research for you Um, so that email anybody can use Um, it's abuse survivors collective at gmail.com and and just shoot me an email with your location information um, a little bit about your case as much as you're willing to share the more I have the better I can help you Um, but I'll just sit down and do a a ton of research to find uh, if there's any free counseling in your area any free legal advice in your area trying to find you a support network um, including the victims advocate groups um, and a 24-hour crisis line and then access to things like the DA and sheriffs and and police in that, that area it's all the stuff that I know I've had a insanely difficult time tracking down um, just all in one place as we go um, so if there's not any if you're looking for a county or if you need help trying to, to find resources it's just abuse survivors collective at Gmail yeah and we'll make sure that that's in the description of this episode so that you have that available and yeah i'll i'll also put in and we do this anytime we mention you know uh, assault or uh suicide but we also have you know those phone numbers for the national hotlines we'll keep those in the description of this episode as well madeline thank you so much for all of the work that you're doing thank you guys this has been amazing thank you for sharing your story because i know that it's not easy and we're only here to support you and um, support the work that you're doing and, and uplifting your voice. So would you like us to ask people to share this podcast episode to get the word out? Anyone who needs help can be sent my way. And yeah, absolutely um, getting this as far reaching as possible um, because I, I do think that there are other people out there who have been not even harmed by Yancey in general, but or Yancey specifically, but the the police system in general and I think it's yeah. good that we know that we're not alone yeah and I'd like to I'd like to offer my help as well to you Madeline and your efforts I have extensive history working in law enforcement and six years of that was as a records director for yeah. a California police department I am very well versed in the Freedom of Information Act. I'm well versed in Public Records Act. It's very simple and easy for me to help write up a request for your records. So if you need help with that, and that's part of your journey with Madeline, I I will help with that. That is not a problem for me. Um, That's amazing. Yeah, because it's sometimes very difficult to know even where to start with how to ask for your records. So if we can come up with some states and just canned requests where they just put Mm -hmm. in their info, we'll get that done for them. And that way it's covered and they, they have a little, little less stress in their lives. (laughs) 
that's that's the goal is survivors helping other survivors because there's not much out there as far as support from from normies so yeah (laughs) we we with ptsd will just survive together and help each other out Yes. 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 PTSD fam. Woo. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, you're awesome. This has been great. You are. This is wonderful. I thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, thank you both so much. This is, um, I think it's going to be amazing to have my voice heard on, on such a great platform. So I appreciate it. All right. Thank you, everyone, for listening today. Uh, you can find us on You Can't Be Sick on Mondays on TikTok and Instagram. Email us at youcan'tbesickonmondays at gmail.com. We will have all of Madeline's information and email in the description below. Samson, do you have anything to add? Yeah, and if you'd like to be a guest on the podcast, we now have a link in our link tree, which you can find in the bio of our Instagram and TikTok. We'd love to have people on. Thank you so much for listening. We hope you enjoyed this episode. For balance and restoration in the world, we hope you have a terrible day. Yes, have a terrible Monday, terrible Tuesday, and so on and so on. Thank you. Bye. (laughs) Bye. together (laughs) it it does make sense in actual editing time